You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. Kids, you can answer this if you understand what I'm about to say. Uh, Adults, you can answer this too. Who here in the room is like me? deathly afraid of heights anyone else deathly afraid of heights like if you see uh, a ledge even if someone else goes close to that ledge your stomach completely turns inside out uh, I've been uh, on hikes with you know lookouts and cliff I can't even watch people go out to the edge of the cliff uh, I've got terrible friends that will try to scare me just because to scare me and go right out to the ledge and I don't know how they do it while I'm still hiding in the woods and I will not go close to the edge. I remember even as a kid, so kids in the room uh, and parents, I don't know if your kids do this, but I was the kid that had so much gusto because you'd see the really high slide on the playground. It's so much gusto to go down that slide. You see all the other kids going down the slide, and it looks so much fun. Your parents are saying, you can do this, Aaron. You can do this. Don't be afraid. And then you get to the top of the slide. I was the kid that would sit down on the top of the slide and then just stay there. Anyone have a kid like that? You just, they would just sit on, and the parents would be like, let's go, little Aaron. Come on, let's go, let's go. You can do it. And I would just stay on the top of the slide. And after a good you know, 20 minutes of hanging out on the top of the slide, I would just turn around and walk down where I came from. I, I couldn't get down the slide. Even though everyone, even though my brothers were going down the slide beside me, my parents were urging me to come on, I was the kid who was too afraid to go down the slide. Uh, that little story uh, has a lot to do with what we're gonna be looking at today as we go through our series, uh, Find Rest. My soul. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 3. I'll explain that in a second and read it in a second. But our series is Find Rest, My Soul. I think one of our inabilities to truly find rest, and we started this just last week, so whether you're here or paying attention online, which by the way, welcome to all of the cottage dwellers online that are watching this right now. Uh... We started this series last week. One of the things that we, we, we are kind of going to be uh, seeking to understand as we go through this series is our inability to truly rest in God, rest in this life that God has called us to, can be attributed to what we believe rest is. We may not even know what that is. And I'm not going to give a, a, a full answer to that today, because we're going to kind of get that as we go along through our passage. But typically, most of us think rest is is what? We're going to stop doing a few things. Rest for me, I was discussing this uh, with with, uh, some of the leaders this this past week, uh, was was typically on Sunday afternoons, I wasn't allowed to play floor hockey or, or road hockey. That was rest, you know, in our family. You know, it was Sabbath, the day of worship, and so Sunday afternoon would come, and Aaron, we have to Sabbath, so you can't play sports. So we would sit in front of the TV all day, you know, like it just didn't make sense. But that's kind of the understanding of what rest was. There are just certain things that you can't do, that you're not supposed to do. 
And I'm not sure if that was the full picture of what rest is. The Bible seems to indicate that rest is something, rather than just a few tweaks you make in your life, it was like a new reality, a new state of being that you entered into. A new place that you enter. We're going to talk about this you know, in, a, in a couple of weeks uh, more to build on what rest is. But I'm going to give you a basic understanding of what I believe rest is in the Bible. First one is to be with God. That's ultimately what rest is. To be with God. So unrest is a soul that has been separate from God. To be with God is the first one. And secondly, it's to be under his reign, living under the reign of God, the rule and reign of God. To obey and live your life under the, under the commands that God has laid out for us, which in simple, I would define it as to enjoy God's presence, his creation, and his good will for us. That's what rest is. To enjoy God's presence and his creation, the things that he gives to us, and the good will that he tells us to live by. That's rest. Hebrews, what we're going to look at, is a fascinating book of the Bible. Sometimes very complex. Even when I'm reading it, we're, we're as the leaders, we're uh, memorizing some of Hebrews. And as we're memorizing it, even, you know, even, I'm a pastor, Aaron. Don't you understand everything that you're reading in the Bible? And we're stopping halfway through. I'm like, what does this mean? Hebrews is, is, it can be a very, it's a fascinating, but it can be very complex. But it does carry a very simple message as you go through it's a very simple message which is that jesus is better that's basically what hebrews talks about jesus is better whatever you have preconceived in your head like this is what life is this is you you have a person that you inspire to be that's what life is hebrews is makes the argument that jesus is better than all of those other things it starts out in chapter one saying that jesus is better than angels in chapter three it begins to say that Jesus is better even than what, I think Colin said this either last week or a couple weeks ago, was that to a Jewish person, there was no one more revered than who? Moses. Moses is like the father of the law, the man who led them out of slavery in Egypt. There was no one more revered than Moses. But at the beginning of chapter 3 in Hebrews, it says Jesus is better than even Moses. Moses can't do the things that Jesus could do. He was superior to even Moses. And then right after in chapter 3 and 4 that we're really going to look at for this series, right after it says, hold on to your confidence and our boasting and our hope, specifically in Jesus in verse 6. Then it starts in verse 7. It begins to talk about this concept of rest. What does it mean to rest in this life? And he uses the picture of the people of God to illustrate what that rest is and how to find that rest. So before I read, I just want to, I don't want to make assumptions here. The people of God were brought out of slavery in a place called Egypt, which is the most powerful place in the world at that time. Brought out of slavery after 400 years to come to this, what God defined as the promised land. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt which we call the Exodus, and I'm going to take you to the promised land. 
So God does that. He brings them out of the place of, place of Egypt to bring them to this promised land. Now in Hebrews 3, it's interesting because this promised land is the picture of what the author of Hebrews calls rest. This is the rest of God. Because I believe here was the place where God was telling his people, even from the beginning, here was the place where I would be with you, remember, or to be with God, and you are to live according to what I've commanded you to live, to be under my reign, to live with him and under him. In Hebrews 3, though, that we're going to look at today, it's going to look like the greatest hindrance to finding that promised land or finding that rest. So let me read, starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. I was angry with that generation. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They've they've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There it is. Take care, brothers, and by inference, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, and he repeats that line in Psalm, it's Psalm 95, which I'll explain in a second. Today, if you hear his voice, and speaking to you today, I believe this is what Hebrews is. It was for those people a couple, a couple thousand years ago, but also as we read today, Psalm 95 speaks to us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. And here's kind of the summary in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter, that's the promised land, because of unbelief. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would be present in our minds and our hearts, that we would welcome your word, but also that your word, as it says in James, would be a mirror that we look at that we wouldn't just look at it, see it, and just run away, but that we would look at it, consider what's going on in our own lives. Maybe see ourselves clearer than ever, and that we would seek to change, seek your grace to change in our life. We, pray, we ask for these things in your name. Amen. So this passage, we're going to kind of go through, by the way, for our series, I'm going to be going through Hebrews 3 and 4. I've got some other people speaking on different psalms having to do with rest. So we're not just going to kind of fly through Hebrews 3 and 4 all summer. We're going to be kind of taking some interludes of psalms that have to do with the rest of God. So it's going to be kind of that whole rest theme, but in between, I'm going to be going through Hebrews 3 and 4. What I read, though, that's what I'm going to be covering today. 
That passage is basically a sermon. It's a mini sermon on Psalm 95. Psalm 95 from verse 7 to 11. You don't have to go there. It's basically word for word of what I just read in Hebrews 3. It's a quote from Psalm 95, the second half of that Psalm channeling the experience of the people of God as they were saved from slavery in Egypt to wander in the wilderness to be led right to the edge of the promised promised land. And there's several instances I think that this is referring to, kind of channeling that experience in Psalm 95, but there's two big ones. So I got to share the two big ones that I think Psalm 95 is talking about when it says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Two, two big ones that Psalm 95 is talking about. Psalm 95, the only difference between this and Psalm 95 is that Psalm 95 actually tells you the places where it talks about that rebellion. Psalm 95 says, do not harden your hearts as, it, as at, and it says a place, which is uh, Meribah or Meribah, as at, as on the day at Massah. So there's Meribah and Massah, which were actual places where a rebellion happened in Exodus 17. You don't have to go there, but where the people were hardened, hardened their hearts before God. It's really important. To get some context, though, of what's happening in Exodus 17. Remember, the people have been enslaved. How long were the people enslaved in Egypt? How long? You know? Little, little bot. <laughs> what's that? Okay, see, imagine, I'm just going to use a round number, 400, or just over 400 years. That is unfathomable. We read it in the Bible. Like, okay, 400 years, then we watch the Ten Commandments and see Charlton Heston lead the people out of Egypt, and we're cool with that. 400 years? It's unfathomable. Do you know what 400 years ago was? The early 1600s. Imagine being enslaved. Like, you have generations upon generations of people that never would have known previously what free life was. Enslaved for 400 years. Do you know what was going on in the early 1600s? Shakespeare was still alive in the early 1600s. Okay? Shakespeare was still alive. The King James Version Bible was just published in the early 1600s. Not only that, in the early 1600s, pilgrims just landed at Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower. That's how long 400 years is. It's unfathomable to think of 400 years. God brings them out of slavery for 400 years with plagues of mass destruction on the nation of Egypt to finally Pharaoh relenting and saying, okay, you can go. After plagues of mass destruction, God guides them with pillar of fire at night and cloud by day to finally, you think, we're, it, we're home free to then being trapped upon the banks of the Red Sea. And then to look back and see the thunderous, roaring sound of the most powerful army on earth at that time coming toward you. You think we're doomed and then God does the most miraculous thing ever by parting the Red Sea so that people can cross to the other side to continue their journey to the promised land. Imagine the miracle that you have just witnessed. These people, after 400 years of silence, 
of praying. You know, we pray, you know, we pray for revival. Imagine praying for revival for 400 years and then God does something crazy. So miraculous, more than you would ever, could ever imagine something happening. Think of the mood that the people would have been in after asking 400 years and then God shows up in absolutely insane ways. And then Exodus 17 happens, which Psalm 95 channels. Exodus 17 is basically a month goes by, okay, from the Exodus. A month goes by, one month. 400 years, one month goes by. There's no water. People start getting desperate. After seeing this God part the Red Sea, a month later, they start telling Moses, why'd you lead us into, we, we were better off in slavery in Egypt. After one month, they start grumbling and quarreling with Moses and toward God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt just to die in the desert? As if God can't provide for them. All they see is the problem. They completely forgotten about the parting of the Red Sea. I'm being hard on them because this happens to me all the time. Like God does something amazing and then you go through a period of struggle and you're like, God, come on. Throw me a bone here. As if he didn't throw you like hundreds already in your life. You know, this is the, chan- this is the experience of the people. The people are so desperate, it says in Exodus 17. They're ready to stone the man who led them out of slavery after 400 years. It says they're ready to stone him, to kill him. So Moses strikes a rock as God commands and water comes out. It's a miracle! But the story is shrouded, of course, in a bitter sweetness of the attitude of the people because Meribah means quarrel and Massah means test. There are other rebellions that happen in the people of God that Psalm 95 channels, but there's another big one. Okay, that was the first one. There's another big one. Because finally God leads them to the edge of what is called the promised land. They're at a place called Kadesh. Kadesh. On the edge of the promised land. They can, they can smell it. The milk and honey. It's a weird description because milk would smell sour to me. Honey's good though. They can smell the promised land. They can almost see it. So they send spies into the land. Go check it out. See what it's like. See if God, it's, it's everything that God has been telling us that it's going to be. Of course, the spy, this is from Numbers 14, if you want to read this after. They send spies. So the spies come back. Well, is it everything that God said? Yeah, it's even more than what God, it's, it's, it's that good. The promised land is amazing. But we're, gonna, the, we're not going to be welcome there. The problem is bigger than God. Right? That's what the spies say, basically. The problem is bigger than God. They're too strong for us. We won't be welcomed. We'll be overcome. Now, two men in that spy group, Joshua and Caleb, try to rally the people. We can overcome the deterrent. I mean, God parted the Red Sea for crying out loud. He can, he can, he can do anything for us. Let's take this promised land that God has given to us. But the people were so filled with fear. They were so filled with fear. There was an initial weeping. And what tends to happen in life, if there is no hope attached to that weeping, it 
became, it, it, it descended into grumbling and rebellion. That's Psalm 95. That's why God says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. God says, I was, I was angry with them. Man, look what, look what I have done. And a month goes by and now you're ready to kill the person that I... The problem is bigger than God. I was provoked with my people. I have rest. I have the life that, I've been, that I want to give to them and they don't want to take it. They're overcome with their fear. And so God says, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And they didn't. They wandered in the wilderness for the rest of their lives. They were too afraid to take what God was, was going to give them. See what the author of Hebrews is doing here? He's not saying just, okay, here's, here's your history lesson. He's applying that to us today as Christians. Just like the people of God here, where God does amazing things and offers us the life that we would always want, the rest in God. We often get to that edge of the promised land and say, I'm too afraid to cross. And God says, okay, you can have it your way, but you won't enter my rest then. You've got to trust me in order to obtain my rest. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. You also, as it says in verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you, as he's speaking to you here today, speaking to Aaron, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, leading you to fall away from the living God. Brother and sister, this is what Hebrews, is tell, Hebrews 3 is telling you. Brother and sister, I say this out of love and care for you. Brother and sister, I don't know where all of you are at, but brother and sister, you can be lost and wander in the wilderness just like the people of God. That's what Hebrews 3 is telling you. And maybe you know that more than anyone, anything. Like you feel that. Man, I'm wandering in the desert. I have no rest. I have no enjoyment in my life. I'm not close with God. I'm not living according to his commands. I'm wandering aimless in the desert. To not enter the promised land, to enter into his rest. Now, I think there's a twofold purpose here when it comes to rest and like so many things in the Bible. Rest is no exception to that. But the meta-narrative, we, we, we talked about this last week. There's always one purpose, that the meta-narrative of Scripture is that Jesus has come, so have faith in him and you will be with God forever. Through the Emmanuel, God with us. He has come and God will be with you for eternity. So believe in his son and what he has done on the cross his, his, and his burial and his resurrection. But also, in the every, there's another purpose when it comes to rest, when we're commanded as Christians. There is an everyday experience of the Christian that we are being discipled in the way and in the life of Jesus to live that rest now. Rest isn't just the heavenly dwellings to come, but rest can be experienced. The promised land can be entered into today. That's what it's telling you. Enter the promised land. Go through the promised land and enter it. Enjoy the rest that God has given you. That is also another emphasis of rest, to enter the promised land and rest every day in Christ, as Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. That's not, to, that's not just to come. That's now that you, would be, that you would have rest in God, to take on the yoke of Jesus 
a yoke that actually fits you and live the way you were always intended to live. Rest isn't just a few tweaks you make in your life. It's entering into a new reality. It's not just ceasing to do some things only. We get this misconception. That's what Christianity is. Now that I'm a Christian, I stop doing a few things. But Christianity is entering an entirely new reality altogether. Entering the promised land. So brother or sister, I would ask you, are you in the wilderness with your relationship with God? Or are you in the promised land? I can't answer that question for you. But it's entirely possible the author of Hebrews is saying you could be wandering the wilderness today. You could be standing on the edge of the promised land and God's saying, enter. Look what I have to give you. You can smell it just like the people of God could. God is telling you to enter. You hear the stories on Sunday of other Christians coming back like spies. It's so good. The Christian life is amazing. The benefits that God gives to us, the hope that he gives to us, the commands that I live are so good for me. Look at how my life has changed. Just like those spies in the report they brought back. Man, it's even better than what God is telling us. It's amazing. And you have to stand on the edge of the promised land and whether to trust in God or not. Something is holding you back. And as it says in this passage in verse 19, we, we assume wrongly that our hindrance to rest is going to be that I'm too busy or that uh, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, so I can't rest. If I had a less busy schedule and if I had more money, then I would rest. Hebrews, 9, Hebrews 3 is telling you that's not actually the problem. Hebrews 3 is telling you that the problem is trust. An unbelieving heart, as it says in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There's three reasons. This is kind of maybe overly broad. That I think the excuse that we make as the people of Israel that are standing on the edge of this promised land when God says, enter my rest, There's three reasons why we don't. It's kind of channeling the experience of the people. One, it's too hard. It's too hard. Just like the people of Israel that said, you know, they're too strong for for us. It's too hard. The problem is bigger than God. I think when God is calling us to rest in Him, Say, that's too hard because then I'd have to let go of everything else that I'm trusting in. When you're too busy, guys, you're the one that has made your life too busy. And typically it's because of your trust in other things other than God. And I've been there in my own life. I'm like, man, I'm so busy. But I've chosen to do that. And I have no time for God. My mind is filled with everything else other than my relationship with God. And I'm at unrest. Second reason I think we say that we would stand at the edge of the promised land and not enter 
I'm not ready. As a pastor, this is probably the most common excuse I hear from people. I'm not ready. When God is calling you to do something, (laughs) this is the most common thing people will say. I'm not ready. In fact, I've told some people in our church when I've asked them to do something, (laughs) this is bad, I don't know if this is right or not. I think maybe it is, kind of. Uh, Is, uh, Aaron, I'm not ready for that. And my response has been, yeah, well, that doesn't matter, but I I asked you to do it. So I think you are. (laughs) I don't know if that's right or not, but I've used it before. Probably will still continue to use it. But typically when it's I'm not ready is not just like I'm not, I don't have enough. It's not, they're not saying I don't have enough education or I don't have enough experience. Typically it's I don't trust that God is going to use me in this way. Or third, I can't change. It's too hard. I'm not ready. I can't change. Those people had been in slavery for 400 years. And when we're in slavery so long, sometimes the slavery itself feels like freedom and the freedom feels like slavery. Because that's all we know. I can't change. All of those responses to God when God is telling you to enter, all of those are rooted in unbelief. The problem is bigger than God. So where do we go from here? I think there's a simple answer that I want to give today. Next time we're going to be in here, I'm going to kind of bring out the answer of the importance of the gathering of the saints when it comes to rest. There's a simple answer, though, today that this scripture gives. It's at the beginning. Today, if you hear his voice, which you just did through his word, all of you heard his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's what it's saying. And throughout that passage, it uses that word today over and over and over again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, every single day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then again in verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's an importance of today. Verse 16 to 18, let me read this again. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those, who, all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he provoked for four years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did we swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? These were the people of God that had seen the miracles of God all in their past. They could look back and say, man, praise the Lord for all of the amazing things that he has done in my past. But the author of Hebrews is saying, today though, what is the condition of your heart? I'm not talking about what God did 30 years ago in your life. What is your condition right now? What is your relationship with Jesus now? Are you resting in him today? There's an importance of today. This is why the Christian church gathers together every day that it says in the early church, at least every week, which should be kind of like 
the, the farthest away that we do is because there's an urgency of today. Today is a different day. Sometimes we neglect the today and live off of the past miracles of God. Some of you made a decision for Christ some time ago, and you're still living in that decision. But Jesus doesn't have much of an effect on your life today. You think I've been coming to this church for, for years? Well, not this church, because this church hasn't been around for years. Another church for years. I graduated a confirmation class, Aaron. I got my certificate I can show you. I prayed a prayer with my mom like 40 years ago. But Hebrews is encouraging you to answer another question. How is your soul right now? Are you wandering in the desert now? Or are you in the promised land? How is your soul today? What is the temperature of your faith today? Brothers and sisters, I say this, and this is what I believe Hebrews 3 is telling you, because it says, take care lest there be in any of in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I've seen too many times examples of brothers and sisters who have made an amazing declaration of faith in their past, but were not concerned with the urgency of today, and over time they fell away from the faith. And their heart was hardened toward God. That hardening your heart is not just disobedience, but one that over time has become in a fixed place of disobedience. That disobedience itself feels more natural to you than obedience when you live, as I said, when you live in slavery so long. The slavery feels more like freedom than freedom. I've seen the spiral of falling away, the hardening by the deceitfulness of sin, where Egypt seems better than the promised land. I wish I could say that I don't have much experience with that, but I do. This happens all the time. Where there's an initial disobedience, but not an urgency beside it. Say, well, God, wouldn't God want this for me? But then, you know, after a while, it becomes, well, it doesn't really matter what God says anyway. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And Egypt becomes more compelling to you than the promised land. Hebrews 3 is telling you, and I am telling you here today, the Holy Spirit, more importantly, is telling you today, if you hear his voice, if you've been paying attention at all to this scripture, and the Holy Spirit has been entering your heart today, if you hear his voice, there's an urgency in that message. As long as it is called today, do not wait for tomorrow to make things right with your God and to enter the promised land and the rest that he gives you. One of the reasons we gather is that we are constantly confronted with a living God. Because today matters. I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to sing one more song as we as we finish today. So team, you can come on forward. I'm going to ask you, I mean, a lot of us don't have the background of being uh, okay with this or comfortable with this. But as long as it is still called today, do not wait for tomorrow. There's an urgency in that. I would ask you now, 
Um, as we sing, maybe, I don't know if Colin and Ruth, you could be at the back for us. If you need to pray and kind of like conf- even confess, man, I have been wandering the desert, Aaron, or Colin, or Ruth. I've been wandering. I'm still living on some decision I made 30 years ago, but it doesn't affect my life today. I've got to make things right. I want to enter the promised land, the life God has called me to. I can guarantee you there are many people in this room who need to do that. Today, if you hear his voice, enter the promised land. God, thank you for your word, the urgency behind it. I just pray a simple prayer that if the Holy Spirit is here and is speaking to us, I pray that now would be the day Today, as we hear from you, that we come back to you. We say goodbye to Egypt. We say hello to the promised land. The place of rest that you have always promised to give us. I think the big problem that we have is that we don't even believe that you could give us that. We see the obstacles in the way. Maybe the difficult decisions that we need to make. Maybe the people we need to leave behind in order to get that. In order to rest. And we think the problem is too big for you. It's not. It's not. Forgive my unbelief, God. Every day as I wake up, that I would enter again anew into the promised land. I pray that our church would do that afresh today.